Well, I'm going to start with a question. How rich are you? How rich are you? Before you answer that question, maybe let me ask you another one. How rich do you feel? If you're like most people, you'll probably have a different answer to both of those questions. For one thing, rich is a relative term, isn't it? Relative term. Compared to to Elon Musk or to Jeff Bezos or, or Bill Gates, most of us are not rich. In fact, compared to most of them, we're dirt poor. To give you an idea, I looked this up. Elon Musk is the richest person in the world. And as of a couple days ago, he was worth $235.6 billion. Jeff Bezos from Amazon, he's number three on the list, $176.5 billion. Bill Gates, number four, $132.4 billion. I'm Definitely not rich if Elon Musk is the starting point. Most of us don't feel rich, even without knowing those numbers. But let's do the math. Let's do the comparison a little different way. You can find out how you compare with the rest of the world by consulting the global rich list. And it's uh, it's online, it's howrichiam.givingwhatwecan.org. If you're interested in doing this later, I can give you the website. Um, But by entering your your annual income and and pressing a button, you can find out where you stand compared to the world. And it will tell you all kinds of things, like how much you could give and still be above certain other people. You know, how many things you can buy. I mean, it just gives you all kinds of, I mean, it just tells you everything about that wealth. It's quick, it's easy. I'll tell you, it's a bit unnerving, especially for those of us that don't feel rich. Here's some startling results that I looked up. Few as a couple make $60,000 a year. You are in the upper 3.4% of everyone in the world. You realize that? The upper 3.4% of everyone in the world. If you make 50,000, you're in the upper 4.9. 40,000, the upper 7.3%. Is that still too much for you? Suppose we drop that figure down to $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year. That still puts you in the upper 9.5% of the world. That means you make more than 90.5% of the people in the world. How about $10,000? How about $10,000 a year? You're still in the upper 20.8% you make more than 79.2% of the world. Only making $10,000 a year, that's less than $1,000 a month. 
In the Gallup organization surveyed world income, they discovered 22% of the world population lives on less than $1.25 a day. 34% live on less than $2 a day. The average American household has an annual income of around $65,000. Obviously, this can vary greatly, but it's a good starting point. If you live in the United States, you should be very glad because, on average, you're in the upper 1% of the world. What I'm saying is, we're rich. We are rich. We may not feel rich. Many of us probably, probably don't. And around tax time, I'm, I'm sure we feel pinched and, and squeezed and frustrated. But in absolute terms, we, we are rich. If you have a cell phone, you're rich. If you have a computer, you're rich. If you have a, a home, you are rich. If you have indoor plumbing, you are a rich person. If you have a closet full of clothes, rich. If you have a car, you're rich. Especially if it's one that you didn't make yourself with spare parts. If you have a bed with a mattress, you are rich. The point is, you are rich compared to the world. Now, there's no need to, to feel ashamed, no need to dance around the truth either. If you've got food in the pantry and, and clean water to drink, you're doing better than millions of people around the world. The question is not, do we have money, but rather, what is our money doing to us? The end of, of James 4, we were introduced to some business people who, who were making plans regarding a, a business trip. Remember that? They had a plan, but their plan did not include God. Their plan was pretty pretentious. It was designed as if God didn't even exist. They presumed that they were in control of everything. They and we were reminded that, that we don't even have control over our very breath, let alone our lives or our plans. James was straightforward in calling us to, to make our plans with God, to realize that it all de is dependent upon His will. As we move into James chapter 5, we're given a strong warning of what happens if we pursue money and get rich apart from God. It's like James is saying, well, you can make your business and financial plans, and, and you can make a lot of money, you can try to, you can do it without giving God one thought about what you're doing, but I'm telling you, there are serious consequences when you become rich. Your wealth is all about you rather than what God wants. So with that said, let's look at today's scripture passage in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to be one, in verses 1 through 6. You can open your Bible to that. If you don't have one, it's found on page 1291 of the Pew Bible, sitting right in front of you. So James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is, this is one of the, the most upfront and in-your-face statements in the book of James. this point, James isn't holding anything back. It reads like something from one of the Old Testament prophets. The scathing indictment of the rich. And it offers no hope, no call to repentance. There's, there's no good news at all in this passage. These words are so harsh that we instinct, instinctively assume that he must be talking about someone else. Maybe, maybe this super rich we, that was found on Forbes' billionaire list, the, the people that we talked about a minute ago. Does James 5, 1 through 6, apply to them? Well, yeah. James is certainly thinking about the richest of the rich. But it also includes people like, like you and me. Though primarily addressed to rich fakers within the church who professed allegiance to Christ but actually pursued wealth, James' warning is a, is a timely one for Christians as well. Believers must be wary of falling into the same sins that characterize these unbelievers. The sin of loving money is easy for anyone to fall into. The term middle class, the term middle class is a, is a fairly recent phenomenon. In ancient Israel, you, didn't, you really didn't have that. You had, you had very rich people at the top of the ladder. And you had a he had uh, a whole lot of poor people at the bottom. There were not very many in between. You were rich or you were poor. And there were a whole lot more poor people. Now we should know one thing before jumping into the rest of this text. The, to- the Bible talks about money a lot. 2,350 verses. You can find something about money or the things money can buy on almost every page of the Bible. Money is necessary for life here on earth. Ecclesiastes 10.19 even says, Bread is for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. It's true. You can't live very long on planet earth without money. At some point you're going to need it. You either have it, or you save it, or, or you earn it, or you borrow it, or perhaps you steal it. Money is the currency of life. Without it, you're in big trouble. Suppose, suppose I hold up five $20 bills in my hand. If I hold up five $20 bills in my hand, are those five bills evil in themselves? Are they evil? Well, the answer is no. The bills are they're just, they're just paper with, with black and green ink. They have no moral value. They're amoral. Amoral. They're not good. They're not evil. They're just $20 bills. Money isn't good or evil. 
It's what we do with money that is good or evil. And that's what matters. See, I could use that money. I could use that money to, to buy a hungry man a meal. Or I could take that $100 and go buy some illegal drugs. So the question is not, should we make money? We all need money to survive. Money can do some good things. The real question is, how will we use what God has given us? In this text, we find three warnings for the wealthy. Since we are wealthy compared to most of the people in the world, these words for us too. James gives a warning here for what wealth can lead to. What wealth can lead to. The first thing that we see is wealth can lead to great heartache. We see that in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming on you. The phrase come now is a, is a call to attention. We, may, we might say something like, listen up, pay attention. You got to hear this. Stop doing what you're doing. Listen. This is very important. I don't want you to miss out on this. And then he specifically addresses rich people. This is people with a lot of money. And the example he, he gives here makes it easier for us to see within the very wealthy. It's easy for us to look and recognize this stuff in the very, very wealthy, right? But the principles that we'll be talking about apply to all of us because we can all have the same tendencies. So pay attention to what God may be saying to you this morning. James says, look here, you rich people. Weep and howl. Weep. It's from Cleo. It means to sob out loud, to lament. It was used to describe the wailing that took place when someone died. It also depicted the outward reaction of some, uh, that sometimes accompanied, accompanied uh, intense shame and guilt. Think of, of Peter when he wept bitterly after he denied Christ the same word that was used there. Howl goes beyond mere sobbing or crying and refers to shrieking or screaming. Taken together, weep and howl pictures an intense outburst of despair and uncontrollable grief. The reason their heart should be weeping and howling is because that miseries are coming. It says miseries are coming. Miseries refers to hardship, suffering, distress. The idea is that these people are living as if there is no God. There's no judgment, no eternity, no heaven, no hell. Not only will they experience some of these troubles in their lifetimes, but they will experience the full brunt of this when they stand before God when they die. In Luke 6, 24-25, Jesus warned them, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. It's like the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16. Lazarus suffered in life here, but he was comforted later. The rich man, the rich man lived for himself. And he he suffered the consequences later. 
Combined with a fallen, greedy, selfish human heart, money can quickly corrupt, cause devastating consequences. That's why Jesus said this after the rich young ruler walked away in Matthew 19, 23-24. Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's Jesus speaking. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Contemplate that. The disciples were astonished. They said, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Have you ever tried to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Virtually impossible. Jesus replied with, man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, it takes nothing less than the power of God to save us, to deliver us from the dangers of greed, the selfishness that's bound up in wealth. The verses that follow in James explain what these people and us will be judged for. It's not that wealth is the issue, but rather what is done or not done with that wealth. James highlights several sinful traits. As we go through them, it's important for us to check ourselves against them too. He's telling us that money and material, when money and materialism become our God, once we realize this, our heart reaction should be one of intense agony. We should be consumed with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Otherwise, Otherwise, James says, there's terrible troubles ahead. Terrible troubles ahead. We begin to see that in our next point. Wealth can lead to spiritual short-sightedness. When you see this in verses 2 through 3, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James here is referring to selfishly hoarding things. Hoarding, tragically, is the most, one of the most widespread sins of our time. It is. I mean, there's, there's TV shows on cable, right? Stream hoarders, and I don't know, there's several of them. It's an epidemic. God wants you to save. He wants you to save for the future, but not selfishly, especially to hoard. To do this is is very short-sighted. God will entrust you with many things and and a certain amount of wealth over your lifetime so that you can use them for His glory. Part of that includes providing for your family. He gives us money. He gives us wealth so that we can provide for our family. That's 
biblical. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Money's good. We need to take care of our families. To advance God's kingdom, 2 Corinthians 9.10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Supporting and advancing God's kingdom. We're to use it to, to help win the lost. Luke 16.9 talks about that. Using our wealth to win others over. To care for those in need. Acts 2.45. And they began selling their property and possessions. We're sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. It blesses us so we can bless and take care of one another. To support those in ministry. 1 Timothy 5.17 The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. To support the church. Support missionaries. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus are not to build a fortune that is uselessly stashed away without regard for God's will or for His purposes. So what is wealth? The first century, there were three main indicators of wealth. You could grow crops. You could sell fabric. Or you gain gold and silver. Look what James says about each of those indicators. James says, your riches have rotted. Your riches have rotted. The word riches, plutos, can refer to to wealth in general. But the use of, the, of rotted suggests a more, more narrow reference to food. The word rotted is seppo, was used to describe rotten wood, decayed flesh, and rotten fruit. James is saying these people hoarded food, food meat, fruit, grains. And it would eventually rot and be useless to them or, or anyone else. Maybe they had a great harvest and so they they. They stored it in great big silos, like the rich fool in Jesus' parable in Luke 12 that we've talked about before. They believed that their hoarded food would allow them to relax, eat, drink, be merry for years to come. But in the end, it would only rot, be of no use to anyone. Then James says, and your garments are moth-eaten. Garments are moth-eaten. During biblical times, wealth was also measured by clothing, the clothing that you wore. Really not much different than us today, right? These himitia, is the word that is used here, referred to outer garments, robes and cloaks. And often they were richly embroidered with, and embellished with jewels. And this Fine clothing was frequently handed down as, as heirlooms from generation to generation. Maybe like your grandma's wedding dress or, or her first stole. These rich people had some real fancy clothes, closets full of them, you know? The latest fashions, Louis Vuitton and Gucci and Prada. Remember, this was in a, written to a people in a society where a poor man probably only had one coat. You only, probably only had one coat. It was probably from Walmart. 
Yet these rich people hoarded even their clothes, not willing to give the excess to the poor. They had so many pieces of clothing that they never wore out. They never got rid of their clothes because they wore out. No, it was because the moths had eaten them. James says all this hoarding is senseless. What's the point of feeding moths? Then James says, your gold and silver are corroded. Other translations say rusted. Precious metals have been hoarded away, unused. When it's kept from being used to help others, wealth corrodes. It's wasted. It wastes away. Although silver and gold don't actually rust, they can tarnish. And the tarnish testifies how long gold or silver has been kept untouched. James, of course, knew that they don't literally rust or corrode, but he's using, using the irony to make a point. Even what seems most indestructible is only temporary. It will eventually rust. It will corrode. It will fade away. Today, we have certain pieces of paper that have great value that we consider to have great value. Stocks, bonds, future commodities. But all of them are transitory too. Valuable one moment and worthless the next. The market that makes a person wealthy one day robs them of everything the next. 1929 ring a bell to anyone? The utter inability of riches to deliver people from God's judgment is a frequent theme throughout Scripture. It's foolish. Hoarding possessions, whether food, clothing, or money, is foolish. Proverbs 23, 4-5 says, Don't wear yourselves out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Have you ever noticed a dollar bill has an eagle on it? How quickly it can go, right? Then James adds, adds this statement in verse 3. He says, Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will, will testify against you. On the day of judgment. Wow, this is, this is actually a stunning rebuke. It will be irrefutable evidence that reveals the greed, the selfishness, and the wickedness of the rich. Their hoard, their hoarded, selfishly gained, rotted, moth-eaten, corroded treasures will give graphic testimony to the sinfulness, the lostness of their hearts. They failed to do good with what they had, and that was sin. And their greed will destroy them in the end. The NLT puts it this way, the very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The very wealth you were counting on will come back to get you. Believers today find themselves participating in societies to tendency to consume as much as possible. Little regard to those less fortunate around us. 
whether it's here or around the world. James shows us that to pursue wealth just for its own sake is ungodly. What is wasted will testify against us, for it exposes the sinfulness, the human heart that needlessly acquired it all. In a consumer-oriented society, the benefits of, of saving are often lost in the, in the quest for instant gratification, conspicuous wealth, and fearful hoarding. James' warning is not against saving money. Not against saving money. He's combating the selfish hoarding that affects not only the person, but everyone else in that person's life. So what are, what are some differences between saving and hoarding? What are some differences between saving and hoarding? Let's look at the benefits of saving versus the, the dangers of hoarding. Benefits of saving demonstrates good stewardship of resources provided by God. It's good stewardship to save for the future. Dangers of hoarding fosters a sense of earthly security and independence. Benefits of saving. It makes a person able to respond to the need of others. You've got a little extra money in the bank. Somebody has a need, you can help. Dangers of hoarding promotes a sense of security over others. Why didn't you save? Look, I've got all of this stuff. I've been gathering it for a long time. Why didn't you? This is mine. You should have saved. Benefits of saving. It assumes that God sometimes provides for people through others. Dangers of hoarding assumes that what a person gains is only for that person's benefit. Mine. Mine, mine. Don't throw that away. It's mine. Benefits of saving is responsible preparation for tomorrow. Dangers of hoarding is irresponsible indulgence for today. One is thinking about the future. The other is thinking about today. I want it now. I need it now. Benefits of saving, it promotes wise spending decisions. Dangers of hoarding promotes impulsive spending decisions. So what is the antidote for hoarding? What is the antidote for hoarding? We need to live in submission to God. We need to live in awareness of and response to God's grace. We need to live in sensitivity to the needs of others. We need to live to meet the needs of others. We need to live with a view toward eternity. Now all of those involve removing the focus from ourselves and toward God and others. James then says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. The time from Christ's ascension to his return are the last days. We are in the last days. And people are still laying up treasures for themselves here on earth. Oblivious, oblivious to this warning. But death, death is the last day for all of us. 
As the rich fool in Jesus' parable found out, he had plenty stored up for his, this life, and he was ready to take it easy. But when he died, he was poor where it mattered most. He was not rich toward God, and it cost him everything. Jesus made very clear what the bottom line is, really is in Matthew 6, 20, 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains a whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or, sh or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Compared to the values of the kingdom of God, the earth's most precious possessions fade away, tarnish, and rust. To be rich without God is to be short-sighted in light of eternity. Wealth comes from God. You can be wealthy and godly at the same time. The Bible is actually full of people who were very wealthy that God blessed immensely. Very wealthy. But they were still godly. So it's possible. The wealth you were given is to provide for your needs and to bless others. It is not to selfishly hoard. It will bring heartache, and it's very short-sighted. Again, think about this. There are 500 Bible verses on the topics of faith and prayer, and yet 2,350 on money. Why? Why is that? Because God knows that our, our attitude toward money is an indication of where our heart is. Right? We will either follow after gold or we will follow after God. We cannot serve two masters. We will either turn to our wallet or we will turn to our worship when we look for the source of our security. We have to remember money is to be a resource, but it is not to be the source. That is God. Maybe you sit there and you say, well, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Maybe you're not Jeff Bezos rich, but compared to the world, you are rich. Talked about that when we started. Well, maybe you say, well, well, I don't hoard money like them, but it's only a matter of degrees. Sure, sure, you may not have the uh, stores of the choicest foods, caviar and lobster and, and beef wellington, but maybe, maybe you have a, re a freezer so jammed full of frozen meat that you'll never eat it all, and you'll probably end up throwing it out because it becomes freezer burnt. Somebody could have benefited from that wasted. Your riches have rotted. Maybe you don't have a, a walk-in closet full of furs and designer clothes, but you do have a closet full of ones that you'll never wear. Maybe they just don't fit right or not the latest fashion or waiting until I, weigh, I, I lose a couple pounds. 
So, there they hang, year after year, till they're moth-eaten. Maybe you don't have gold and silver bars, but you have scrimped and saved, and you pinched every dime, saving for the future, so you can retire someday, have a nice retirement, and yet you haven't helped anyone today. Your riches corroded. Money talks. Money talks. What is it saying about you? What does the way you handle your wealth tell the world? Is it evidence of a tested faith? If not, repent. Ask God to help you use what he gave you in a way that will reflect the gospel of Christ, his kingdom, his glory. Wealth comes from the Lord and is a tool for us to use here on earth. We're not going to be able to take any of it with us. You know, when, when a rich person dies, they often ask the question, you know, the question is often asked, who he left the money to, how much he left behind. How much money did he leave? You know what the answer is? All of it. All of it. We need to be responsible and save. That's biblical. We need to prepare for the future. But we can't hoard. We're not to hoard it. It is a tool that God has given us to do his work here. Money is a necessary thing in the world that we live in. He gives us that tool to use to be a blessing to others, to advance his kingdom. And it speaks of our heart where our loyalty lies. Are you chasing after gold? Are you chasing after God? So, it's a reminder, it's a challenge for us to examine our hearts. What is your money saying about you? Ask God to reveal that to you. And then act with what he tells you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again grateful, thankful for your word. And Father, that you have blessed us beyond, beyond what we deserve. And Father, even as we, we learned this morning, when it comes to, to material wealth, Father, no matter how poor we may feel we are here, Father, comparison to the world, we are rich. You have blessed us with so much. There are so many out there who are in desperate need. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. Father, reveal the areas in our lives where we may be hoarding the wealth that you have given us instead of using it to advance your kingdom, to love others and show others the love of Christ. 
Father, I just pray that you would help us to, to use the tools, the blessings that you have given us for your kingdom and for your glory. We just give you thanks for how you will accomplish this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.